Wele yunka, ikwase yunka, awele yunka, wele yunka. Miyohue, welcome to the Historical Wisdom Podcast, where we share stories of health, healing, medicine, and the histories that frame Native American experience, particularly for tribes and Native people in Riverside and San Bernardino counties, California. Each segment will explore different aspects of what historical trauma means to Native American communities and the healthcare providers who serve them. We share this knowledge with you from the perspective that to understand the history and strengths of Native Americans and how policy and institutions of medicine work, we can improve the delivery of healthcare and human well-being. For Chihun Piyonkinach, a Gathering of Good Minds project, I'm Juliet McMullen, and we share with you historical wisdom. Throughout our previous episodes, we've continued to talk about historical trauma. While you may have a sense of the concept by now, it's probably time that we provided some concrete definitions. So here we go. While there are a number of synonymous terms for historical trauma, such as intergenerational trauma and more recently racial trauma, much of the work that our group has done finds alignment with Eduardo Duran and Bonnie Duran's native concept of the soul wound. Eduardo Duran shares how he came to the term in his book, Healing the Soul Wound, Trauma-Informed Counseling for Indigenous Communities. He says that when asking elders about problems in the community, their responses were not framed as symptoms, as you would typically expect, but rather as spiritual injury, ancestral hurt, and soul wounding, things that had to do with the histories and the experiences of the people. These experiences are some of the same things that we heard when we spoke with the Native communities in our area. Duran goes on to say that the stories that he heard from the community led him to the historical trauma literature, which at the time was first used to describe the experiences of children of Holocaust survivors. Now, historical trauma is used to describe the experience of many colonized indigenous and cultural groups throughout the world who are also subjected to a history of oppression, victimization, and massive group trauma. So we're not talking about individual trauma, but something that is experienced by groups of people and that continues across generations. Soul wounds, then, is a Native American way of contextualizing their history and ongoing experience of oppression and trauma. Later in this episode, we'll have two conversations, one with Dr. Lorette McGuire, who will share her work on diabetes, and then with Julie Andrews from the Native Resource Center, who will share her work on mental health and how soul wounds affect interactions with healthcare providers. Before we move forward in thinking about different phases from Duran, Duran, Yellow Horse Braveheart, and Yellow Horse Davis, who shared with us six different interconnected sets of events that create soul wounds and historical trauma. Before we do a little bit more of that, I wanted to introduce our program coordinator, Wyatt Kelly. Wyatt, did you want to say a little bit about yourself? Hello, my name is Wyatt Kelly. I'm a fourth year student here at the University of California, Riverside, studying ethnic studies and English. I'm an indigenous scholar and my heritage comes from White River. So I'm White Mountain Apache from Arizona. Great. Thanks, Wyatt. It's so exciting to have you on the project too and be working on this because I think it's really meaningful to have, um, have more collaborators 
talking about what's going on. So just out of curiosity, you've been looking at these six phases before we get into them. What are some of your general thoughts? After reviewing the six phases, I think they're all very relative to what's going on today. And they all really get at soul wounds and historical trauma and how that's all interconnected with life today and how it's still going on and people are still dealing with these issues. And I think it's really important that we actually go over these because they're there today. And as you'll hear throughout the podcast, all of these six interconnected sets of events that created the soul wounds are, are there. They're in every single podcast and you'll hear other speakers touching on each individual number that we go through. Yeah, exactly. And so as we go through the podcast, we'll give you reminders of where they are in the phases and in that particular podcast. So looking at the six interconnected sets of events that create soul wounds and historical trauma, Duran Duran and colleagues say that the first one is the original encounters with colonists. And this is where uh, native practices in life are systematically destroyed through genocidal military actions and also the missionary system and thinking around the persistence of death. And when you have so many people dying at once, there's no time to grieve, to mourn the loss of loved ones. And often that leads to prolonged grief. And going off of that, the second thing that they mention is this idea of economic competition, um, loss of environment, ways of gathering food for physical sustenance and relationships with the environment that provide spiritual sustenance. So these two forms of sustenance, Duran and others argue that these are all connected traumas and should not be separated. And so thinking around the economic competition, The third phase is the invasion war period. And so this is an era where the U.S. government carried out a policy of extermination through military force. And so if people were not killed, they were removed from their traditional homelands by force. And this is another way that economic competition plays in. People are removed from their lands. They can't eat. They can't care for each other. A host of relationships are are destroyed through the invasion war period. Yeah, and the invasion war period also leads us to talking about the reservations and and displacement and putting people on reservations. And that ties into the fourth one, which is subjugation and reservation period, where Native people were forced to live within the confines of reservations and were not allowed to leave. These were set places of land for them to stay on. And this prevented people from moving around to gather their sustenance and to gather their food, their traditional medicines, and connect with their relatives. Yeah, connecting with relatives, a huge thing. So the fifth phase is the boarding school era. And this was a period where there was a systematic attack on Native family and intergenerational support. So children were removed from parents. And they were placed in distant boarding schools away from family. In the boarding schools, the children were forbidden to speak their native language, practice native religion, or to do anything that was perceived to draw on native knowledge systems. But also, they were away from their family, so they weren't able to learn a lot of things, even learning how to be a family. Yeah, and touching on the last thing, number six, forced relocation and termination period. This ties back into all of these, especially the boarding schools, because during the 1950s, many Native people were relocated from reservations to large cities. So physical genocide was compounded by a cultural genocide, the same thing that was happening in the boarding schools. Natives didn't really have a chance to even hold on to their culture because 
they had to survive and keep moving forward. And in order to live, they had to assimilate and go into these cities and work and, and follow the dominant culture's um, ways of being, right? Yeah. That's how you're supposed to survive. And even just thinking about that one, when we talk with Cliff Trafser, he has a lot of examples in history on termination at the termination period and relocation. Yeah, the allotment acts, all of those things. Yeah, so we're looking forward to having more in-depth conversation through each of our episodes. We'll talk about the phases, we'll remind you what they are and how they fit into historical trauma, and also how they fit into how we care for patients and how we care for each other. And we do this with the idea that we want to provide you with information that can hopefully be turned into wisdom that again will guide how we work and how we relate to each other. Anyway, welcome to the Historical Wisdom Podcast. So today we get to talk to Lorette McGuire, Professor of Anthropology at Cal State uh, San Marcos. And um, she's been doing a lot of work on historical trauma, on palliative care, and thinking about the constructions of diabetes conversations uh, with Native Americans and clinicians. So uh, I'll let Lorette introduce herself and give you a little more information. My name is Lorette McGuire. Um, I am a medical anthropologist from Cal State University San Marcos. I am Pueblo Indian and Hanisero, both by descent, so I'm not an enrolled member. My work has largely been in Native communities, and I work in type 2 diabetes, cancer pain, palliative care, and historical trauma. Great. Um, can you tell me a little bit about historical trauma? Like, how did you come to think about that term? Did people that you talk with in your project, did they say historical trauma? In many of my projects, what I've done is interviewed American Indian diabetics. In those conversations, when we talked about causes diabetes and why do American Indians suffer from such high rates of diabetes, what I would often hear was this discussion around a reliance on commodity food, a loss of language, which also tied into loss of foodways, loss of uh, traditional knowledge around food systems. I would hear about boarding schools. The boarding school experience is so important, but going back to food systems, when you talk to people about food systems, does that mean the way people were gathering their food or preparing their food? So what's going on there? It was it was just uh, the loss of a food s system. So eating traditional foods, there was a sense that they weren't eating traditional foods as often. And there was also a discussion about, well, you know, the things that we would do in order to do that. So going out and picking traditional foods, right? The work that went into doing that, you know, the labor and the, the exercise that you get and the knowledge was all part of a discussion. And it was just, it was a realization that they're looking at larger systems when they're thinking about health, mm. you know, the structural systems that, that are keeping them and causing ill health. They're looking at the health disparities. And so it kind of led me into the literature. So tell me, how does the literature define historical trauma? So Maria Yellowhurst Braveheart defines historical trauma as a constellation of characteristics associated with massive cumulative group trauma that uh, across generations. 
Okay, so the loss of food would be a trauma that was experienced. But then can you tell me more how it's how it carries across generations? Because the knowledge is lost. Mm. So it's, it doesn't just affect the initial group. Mm-hmm. That, you know, it, it affects subse- subsequent generations. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that's how it could be carried across generations. When Maria Yellowhorse Braveheart was talking about this, most of the work is examining social behavioral, so mental health issues, addiction, alcoholism, suicide, those kinds of issues that, that American Indians have had a higher rate than the general population. So they weren't necessarily talking about disease like physiological disease. Oh, interesting. So when she talks about it, is that more related to soul wounds from Eduardo and Bonnie Duran? Are those ideas, are those concepts together? Eduardo and Bonnie Duran were were writing earlier Mm -hmm. about soul wounds. The soul wound is the wounding, the the event that, that causes a wound. And so until that wound is healed or addressed, it will continue. So in both cases, it's sort of thinking back to your work in diabetes, the loss of the land and food systems and ways of knowing how to interact are the wounds that then are carried from generation. Yeah, it's the genocide, the settler colonial continued uh, land grabs of native lands that continue to happen. The boarding school experience, those are all examples of wounds. So what are some of the things that you've learned about healing? So you say that the soul wound stays open until it's healed. Are we talking about resilience here or? Resilience just means our ability to overcome. Like how do we measure that? Um, how that overcoming happens. There's been a lot of work looking at how Native peoples can heal. And so a lot of that has been uh, centered around thinking about acknowledging the trauma and looking for cultural ways to heal, like ceremonies and traditions and uh, reclaiming those ways of knowing the world are really important to the healing process and to creating a sense of resiliency. I was uh, remembering the first time I heard Anthony Pico talking about uh, historical trauma and some of the other facets to it. And, you know, one of his key points at the end of his talks is always that there's nothing wrong with Native Americans. Like, it's everything around us that has been telling Native Americans that there's something wrong with them, but there's nothing wrong. And so reclaiming that sense of that strength of knowing who you are, you know, that core, which makes the concept of soul wounds and historical trauma kind of interesting. I think the the care that needs to be taken is that it needs to be taken. We're not pathologizing a whole population mm-hmm. and saying, oh, that all Native communities or peoples suffer from this thing and therefore they all need you know some sort of medicine or healing mm-hmm. for it um i think it's specific to communities and um and communities will will 
know the best ways to heal themselves. The conversation with Dr. McGuire was terrific. I particularly appreciated her insights into historical trauma, soul wounds, and recommendations to avoid individualizing historical trauma, but rather to use it as a way to understand the social and political processes that produce poor health for Native Americans. So social determinants of health for those of you who are interested in public health. If you'd like to know more about the systems and the institutions that Dr. McGuire mentioned, you can listen to our episodes on policy where Sean Milanovich talks about the Treaty of Temecula and Dr. Clifford Trafster shares knowledge about federal policies that led to boarding schools, taking away of land, and an attempt to dismantle Indian health services. In addition to Dr. McGuire's work, we also wanted to share some of the effects of historical trauma on mental health. Julie Andrews from the Native American Resource Center will share the work that she and her department are doing around historical trauma and how it affects patient interactions. Julie Andrews, So I said my name is Julie Andrews and I'm from the Burnt Thigh Band of Lakota Indians. Um, I work for the Native American Resource Center, which is a grant program with the Department of Behavioral Health. Uh, San Bernardino County, and we're a prevention early intervention program that works at reducing the stigma of mental health. A lot of what we do is go into the communities and talk about how our history, how historical trauma affects the ability to access mental health services with outside agencies, but also with physical health county programs such as Department of Public Social Services, Domestic Violence Advocacy, um, all of those different agencies. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the programs that you do do and how often, like, are you out in the community weekly, monthly? It seems like we're out weekly these days, but uh, pretty regularly we do uh, domestic violence, uh, 40-hour workshop for the training for the advocacy. So that's at least twice a year. We've also worked with the Department of Public Social Services, Child Protective Services agencies, talking to them about Indian child welfare, um, about some of our history with that's rooted in the boarding school experiences and the removal of children from their families. Um, just found out that Riverside County still has the highest rate of removal for Native American children. It's up there with Maine, which has another high rate of removal for Native American children. Wow. What is that? Do you recall what that rate is? Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't have the statistics. It's, but it's high. It's higher than anybody, which is interesting. But there's a lot of tribes in Riverside County, so that's possibly why the, the rate is so high. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where are they taking the kids? They're putting them in, in out-of-home foster care. We're working at, have been working at trying to get them placed in Native families, but there's not a lot of native foster care families. Usually they're placed with relatives. So the history that you've been talking about and the removal, is this part of what um, people define as historical trauma? I think it's a huge part of that disconnection from identity and family, um, how we learn how to be uh parents and community members is through our family. And so if we're, when the children were removed from their families, they were not just from their families, but from their community. And so uh, as a result of the other policies that were in place, 
their spiritual life, ceremony, medicines, foods, connection to the land, all of that was altered, uh, which had a lasting effect on families. Um, and then still happening today if if kids are being removed from their families. It's not just in the past, yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the things that the Native Resource Center and Behavioral Health have been doing around historical trauma? We had this. We had two historical trauma trainings, um, one where Filetti, Dr. Filetti came from Kaiser and talked about the ACE study, and then we did one last year where we had Eduardo Duran and Carlos Rivera from White Bison came out and talked about the effects of historical trauma on substance use and, and in, in mental health. And then we do a yearly diversity film series with the Department of Behavioral Health. This year we watched Dawnland, which is a film about Maine and the people up there as far as the removal of children and the lasting effects it had on their communities. That was, I have to say, that was an amazing film, and I highly recommend it to all of our providers. Yeah, right. Yeah, because I think we when we th- when we think about historical trauma, we really think about it being a long time ago, and how does that still affect our families? But if you look at that, what we just talked about, as far as it having an effect on how you see yourself, connection, we know that protective factors include a sense of identity, it includes a support system, it includes connection to your community. And if your ancestors, if your relatives, if your grandparents were disconnected, then that gets that lack of identity gets shared, right and carried on. And so you form new and different identities. And a lot of times it's with that dominant culture. And so there is in place that rejection of who we were, that rejection of our of our culture, of our language. And although we're doing a lot of good work in our communities with trying to revitalize our language and our ceremonies and food and all of those things, the impact is still there. When you think about mental health and health disparities in our communities, the funding sources that we have. and Yeah, yeah. So what are some of the things that with, with regards to historical trauma that impact the way community members, um, Native people, seek health care or access health care. Yeah. And I think that, that it's not even that there's that conscious knowledge of what gets in the way of accessing services. So it's not like our clients are going, oh, it's because of historical trauma that I can't follow through or that I'm not following through or that there's a perceived lack of disengagement on the client's part or the patient's part or disconnect from their concern for their own wellness, right? So if you're talking about physical health care with diabetes or, and, and we know that that's not just in the Native American community or diabetes wouldn't be such a huge health issue. But for us, I think especially, and we've talked about that before, where food is a sense of comfort, it's a sense of connection it's a it's a coping mechanism and and so the issue of making that connection between historical trauma and barriers to care like i said it's not necessarily that it's a conscious thing but it's it, if we go back we can see how it affected our ability to be in our communities how it affected our ability to be in relationship with with our our com- our families and our communities but also with other agencies that provide services to us like the clinic mm-hmm. All right. Is there, um, has there been a sense of what would need to be done in order to address some of that access, either within 
Indian health or outside that has been done to sort of think through those those problems? I think when we talk about historical trauma, it really does get down to that sense of identity about who we are. Um, so, so many of us were, um, I'm going to say, victims of the relocation program. And so where we were removed from our ancestral lands, from our connection to our family history, uh, our creation stories, our language, all of those things. And so here we are, and I and I run into this all the time where people will say, well, I know that I'm uh, Native American, but I don't know anything about my family. I don't know anything about my tribe. I don't even know where I come from. And so there's such a disconnect. I know who I am, but I don't know who I am. And then we have those systems that are in place that separate us from each other, that prevent us from being fully part of a community. I think with respect to historical trauma and healthcare, being able to to be with somebody, to sit with somebody, and to recognize, acknowledge who they are. And, and a very important part of the piece of the work that we do, because if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here. And a lot of times there's a, a sense of us and them between we're the providers and you're the patients, and, and really we're here to serve them. And so recognizing that it's important for us to be able to sit with somebody and to, to respect their experience. So many times... I think there's a sense of what might be considered an oversensitivity to being disrespected. And oftentimes people will be what may be perceived as overly upset about something. But we have to recognize that those experiences don't come from nowhere, that there's a lifelong experience of being the other in so many different situations. And so there's a certain this is this is for me here these services are for me and I have a right to this and I have a right to that and and, and kind of uh, can be perceived as being inappropriate so they have an expectation that I deserve this or I have this coming to me and the reality is is that it's a it was a treaty Indian Health Services is a result of of a, an agreement to provide this service to Indian people. And so yeah, that's tr- it is true. And so how do we respect that? What's, what's behind that response or, or attitude, if you will, and recognizing that that may be coming from some very real experience. And I think it's important to recognize people's perceptions surrounding racism, surrounding a lack of respect. And I think that just goes to trauma-informed care in, in any arena, being able to recognize that we, we have to respect this person's experience and respect this person's perception about the services. they. I think a big part of, we've heard this so many times about, uh, lack of trust with the the people who are providing services to to us and whether they're qualified and whether they are are hearing what it is that we're saying or or taking enough time to sit and listen to someone's experience even though we might be pushed for time it, it really takes very little time to listen to somebody you know 5 minutes is 5 minutes so i think the the idea that that historical trauma is not in the past. It's ongoing. I mean, look at what just happened in North Dakota a couple of years ago and that Standing Rock and, and where the history of violence against women in Native American culture, the the ongoing murdered and missing Indigenous women where Native women's lives are not given the same accord as, as other women's lives. And so all of that compounds 
and is brought with me to the doctor's visit to the dental office and the perceptions of and, and even and, you know maybe we don't have all of that knowledge about there but we have our own personal experiences of it and so i guess the 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 takeaway is that all of this history precedes us but it's it's also with us today, right? And it influences, we've had conversations before about what does our family look like as a respect to the historical trauma, how it affected our sense of identity, how it affected our, even how our families get along with each other. I think that it's a, it's important part of, to, to recognize that, that we're affected by it, even though we don't even know about it, because we oftentimes have conversations with people. And, and when they learn some things about historical trauma, that there's kind of like a little bit of an awakening. And it's like, oh, that makes so much sense. These things that have happened in our families forever. We don't know why we're so angry. We don't know why we're so sorrowful. We do some work. Uh, part of what we do here at the Native American Resource Center is that we go to Sherman Indian High School and, and they come to us and we do a Daughters of Tradition program with them. It's a culturally based program, a prevention and early intervention program. And these these young women come with such grief and such loss. We do a talking circle with them. Uh, and we, and just this year, we recognize that we need to do it more because they need that. They need that ability to be able to put some of the pain that they carry down. They worry about their brothers and sisters. They worry about their parents and their substance use. They worry. And those are all direct effects of historical trauma, those coping mechanisms that we learned as a result of the things that happened on our uh, where we live. And so it's painful to watch sometimes the the things that these kids um, have to go to school and and be a normal teenager and learn with. You know, we did a training with Sherman Indian High School with their teachers last year and talked about historical trauma and talked about trauma and how it affects those those students' ability to be able to to engage, to learn and to be present and to some of the things that they see there, they're disconnect. They, they're not interested in their education. And it's like, if you think about what these kids have to go through, what they live with every day, and their ability to be able to come into your classroom and focus and pay attention and participate and be respectful and not get triggered. So it's, and I think that's as, as relevant for the healthcare system as well. So I'm coming to you, I'm asking you for help. A lot of times people get frustrated, they might get angry, and and we don't look at the underlying reasons of why that might be. And it's not necessar- necessarily to say it's the doctor's responsibility or the nurse's responsibility to uh, fix that, but just to be aware that this is something that is possibly part of the reason that they're not following through with their appointments or not taking their medication as prescribed or not being honest with their doctors about what they're doing or what they're not doing. That was great. Connecting all of the history with what actually happens in the clinic um, and with our youth. That is huge. You know, we think about that. Um, We are so much more than the person who shows up in front of the doctor in the clinic. Thank you so much for sharing. You're welcome. Thanks. Again, another informative conversation. Ms. Andrews provided rich details about how soul wounds work across generations, from what the elders experience to the youth, and removal of children from families, something that is still happening today. 
and she also demonstrated the effects of historical trauma and how they're part of every clinical encounter. This is truly an example of how healthcare providers might be more attentive to what's happening with the people they serve. So some additional takeaways are thinking around um, historical trauma, as mentioned by Dr. McGuire, that it's not experienced the same way by everyone in every location. So something that may be experienced as a trauma or triggering for one person may not be the same for another person. This is a key reason the Historical Wisdom Podcast is focusing on the histories and current experiences of oppression and also focusing on the healthcare delivery system in Riverside and San Bernardino. Communities know best approaches for healing, and so we must attend to what's happening in our local areas first. Another issue that Julie Andrews brought up was about our providers needing to be aware of historical trauma. And this awareness is not because there's an expectation that they fix it or that the people they're serving think that they're victims because they don't think that. When our providers know and understand historical trauma, it gives them insight and they acknowledge what's happened rather than ignoring it. And in this way, as Eduardo Duran argues, when we acknowledge historical trauma, healing can begin. Aloha for listening to Historical Wisdom. We trust that it will help you as you care for yourself and others. Additional wisdom and references about historical trauma and complete interviews can be found on our website, gogm.live. Aloha to Sean Milanovic for sharing the opening and closing bird songs. The podcast was produced by Juliet McMullen and our Chihun Pionk Inach Steering Committee and edited by Catherine Rodriguez and Wyatt Kelly. Content was developed in conversations with community members and our Chihun Pionk Inach Steering Committee that include Sherry Salgado, Luella Thornton, Julie Andrews, Holly Bronner, Veronica Espinoza, Donnell John, Michelle Opsal, Gina Hughes, Catherine Rodriguez, Anne Cheney, Kendall Shumway, Wyatt Kelly, Sean Milanovich, Amanda Marquez, Lorene Sisqua, Clifford Trafster, and Jackie Wise Spirit. The Historical Wisdom Podcast is funded through an engagement award from the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute. Aloha from the Chihun Piyonk Inach Project, www.gogm.live. <laughs> Hey, Matina, ha, me, ya, we, cha, ha, ya, we, cha, we, cha.